as well. And so I would just invite you, again, we're going to pray, but if you would extend your hands as a sign of receiving what God may have for you this morning, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the midst of all of the chaos in this world, Lord, the the mass shootings that just seem to never end, the turmoil and the frustration, the political challenges and debates and all of these things that are happening in and around our world, God, we just ask that you, that you would be God. Lord, that we would be willing to release them to your hands, but nor that we would wait on you, that we would eagerly be a part of being the kind of people who would see tragedy and respond in kind the way that you've called us, that we would hear your word, that we would understand what it means to work and to wait in your name. Amen. So uh, I, I have to admit, I've had, I've had an Amazon Prime membership for a really long time. And I think for many of us, uh, that may be true. And for some of us, you're like, ah, Amazon Prime for those like hippie millennials who like to have their things come every two days. Uh, but I remember back in a day and in, in a time when we used to have to open up the catalogs and search in the catalogs to find the items that we wanted. And I remember doing this mostly with my grandma as she would like order her specialty shoes and do the other things that she needed. And she'd look through the catalogs and over this time, like, she'd find this, the thing, and then she'd wait on hold and on the phone call and, until she could give them the exact, you know, number and make sure they got the order right, and then she'd wait, and 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 then after a number of weeks would pass, the wrong color shoes would come. Right? And then the, her only resolve was to pick up the phone and to call again and to do this. And now I have these experiences of waiting sometimes that I just don't particularly like. I, I mean, I was on the phone with my credit card company yesterday. I got locked out of my account. And, um, and I call them up and I'm like, hey, can you help me get in? And they take me through the password reset process. Right? Which is exactly what I can do online that didn't work the first time. And then that doesn't work, and so then uh, they transfer me, and that person is like, oh, uh, I don't do this one. I, let me transfer you to somebody else. This, that person's like, oh, I don't do—I I do debit cards, not credit cards. We can't do that, so I transfer you to somebody else. Oh, I don't do your type of credit card. Let me transfer you to someone else. Click. <gasps> right? And I'm like, and then I pick up the phone, I call again, and the person answers the phone. I'm like, <gasps> you're the fifth person I've talked to. And everybody just keeps transferring me. Can you please send me the right person? <laughs> please, please, please just send me the right person, right? Because there's something in us that just hates waiting. That, that drives, and especially in me, that, that drives this desire, you know, to have the Amazon like, it's here in two days, and if, if not, they're going to pay me my money back, or they're going to do whatever it is, because I just can't wait for that one little trinket that I bought online on Amazon Prime Day two weeks ago that just got delivered, you know? I, and we, we go through life sometimes not really understanding or, 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 or really just desiring to have things now. So I would invite you to join me in turning in your Bibles. It's not on the screen this morning. So if you would turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. 
James chapter 5. And the version that I'm going to be reading from is a little bit um, slightly different than probably what you have in your Bible. It's a new version that I'm really loving right now. But James chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. All right. It says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you must be patient as you wait for the coming of the Lord. Consider the farmer who waits patiently for the coming of the rain in the fall and spring, looking forward to the precious fruit of the earth. You also must wait patiently, strengthening your resolve, because the coming of the Lord is near. Don't complain about each other, brothers and sisters, so that, you won't be, so that you won't be judged. Look, the judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example. Be patient. Resolve. Be as an example of patient resolve and steadfastness. Look at how we honor those who have practiced endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen what the Lord has accomplished. For the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So the passage starts with this idea of, let's be patient. We're waiting for the coming of the Lord. And I, I like to, I mean, I think in, in this sense, right, you, you hear the book of James and you see what he's written and you're like, oh yeah, they were expecting like Jesus to come in glory on the clouds and, and you know, bring his kingdom. And we have kind of, in our society, in our life, actually kind of, we read that. And we say, yeah, but not in my lifetime. We don't know when that's going to happen. Yeah, well, we're waiting. Like, yeah, we want the Lord to return. Like, not before we've accomplished all we want to accomplish, or not before we've amassed all of the things on earth that we really want to have. Or, or maybe, maybe that'd be great. Life is really hard right now. Man, what if God could just come back? But sometimes we distance ourselves from this idea. We distance ourselves from the idea of Lord's re- the Lord returning. But I think that the, the tangible piece for us this morning as we kind of move forward and look at how we, we anticipate what God is doing and how we think about what we're waiting for is that we actually pray. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, the way that Jesus has commanded us to pray is that we ask for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven and that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And those are things that are not limited to someday down the road, but are actually part of our everyday experience in who God is and what he's inviting us to as we wait. It's part of the, the joyous celebration of life, not just life to come, but life now and forever. And so when we, when we read scripture, we can actually not just have this picture of, yeah, someday I'll go to heaven and it'll all be great, but but no, like God is doing and stirring and working in the world around us and with us and through us. So uh, that's, that's kind of my little preamble. It goes in and it says, consider the farmer. Consider the farmer. I, I love this phrase. I love this phrase. And mostly the reason I love this phrase is on my desk for the last like year and a half, maybe not even a year and a half, like maybe a year, I've had this thing that has like a little shovel and some soil, and it says, don't waste the weight. Don't waste the weight, because 
and I don't even know what it means sometimes. I look at it and I'm like, what, what does it mean to wait? What does it mean to like be in the presence of God and do your thing? And so this, this passage says, consider the farmer. And so I spent some time on Google considering farming. And let's be honest. I, we, we've established I'm terrible at growing things. This is awful. Like, I, we're just, this is just not my, not my gift in any way, shape, or form. But I spent a week in Utah. And I, during my week in Utah, my, my wife's um, dad has this cabin up in, up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere in this tiny little town that has nothing but alfalfa farms. And so we'd sit out on the back porch and we'd listen to the little watering machine go, for 18 hours a day as it like slowly made circles around the entire field, right? And you look out and you're like, oh, it's just flat nothing and green and how do they have this much water? And I mean, I, I like... I, I can't imagine what their water bills are like for, and they're like, no, there's freshwater springs that just are everywhere around here, so it's just like unlimited water resources. I'm like, oh, California is awful. Um, and, then I, and then I realized, no, like, I'm in the middle of nowhere, and like, they don't even have a grocery store, so like, go California. You know, like, it's, it's, its, own, it's its own thing, but consider the farmer. And so I was like, oh, all right, Google, how do you farm alfalfa? And I looked at, at how you farm alfalfa, and, and the very first thing that I saw, the very, the very pri- like primary thing, is that a year, one year before you plant alfalfa, you have to test the soil and do some things to it. A year. Like, a year. Before you plant, before you do anything. But, like, you have a big, flat, nothing field, and a year before you can even plant, you have to go out there and you have to test the soil and you send it in and they, they, they're going to tell you the pH. And you need to have a pH between 6.5 and 8. So if it's too acidic or too basic, you've got to deal with that. Most soil doesn't have enough phosphorus for alfalfa. So you've got you to put phosphorus on it. It doesn't have enough soil or sulfur. So you've got to put some sulfur out there. You've got you to get some potassium out there. You've got to get some boron out there. And you've got to add all of these things into the soil. And you got to like stir them up and mix them in. Something else alfalfa needs is it needs clear root paths. So, so it needs to have no impediments like rocks or whatever else down. Like the ideal is down like five or six feet. Because that's how far down the roots of alfalfa grow. They, they grow down and deep and rich. So you got to dig out all of the roots and all of the impediments and all of the, all of the stones and all of the things that are part of the soil. But you know what else alfalfa needs? It needs hard, compact soil. Like soil, the, like the good soil with nothing in it, it has to be hard and compacted when you plant the seed. So for a year, for a year to plant alfalfa, to consider the farmer is like, it's like digging in the dirt and seeing nothing. Like you've not even planted the seed yet. You're just kind of hoping that what you're doing, the toil, the struggle, the challenges of what you are considering to do to plant this, this thing that grows will have the nutrients, that have the things that it needs to have. And then you pack it all down and you plant the seeds and then you water the heck out of it. 
Like, you think you water your lawn to make it look green? Like, no. They water, they, they have to water, they, they say they water it three inches a month, regardless of rain and whatever else. And that's after the soil is fully soaked. Like, the soil has to be fully soaked to where it's like standing water and fine so that it can withstand the heat of summer. And, and it does all of these things. And so, long and story short, Considering the farmer, long, hard toil without results. And then the harvest comes and it starts to grow and it starts to do this and they, they keep watering and they keep tending it just so that there's that nice little sheen of water always on the ground. Um, oh, but by the way, the ground also needed to be perfectly level because if you have that much water and it's not perfectly level, you now have pools of water in your fields. And you have to continue to test the soil and continue to check it. And then they harvest the soil. And the most important, the best piece of the alfalfa crop is the leaves. And I don't know if you've ever cut down a tree, but the thing that falls off the tree is not the branches, it's the leaves. So, you, you're, you know, like, imagine you're like, they're just plowing it out and they're rolling it up and they're creating these big bales of alfalfa and the stalks are like 6% of the nutritional value. The leaves are like 80, are over 80% of the value of the alfalfa. Like considering the farmer is considering in our lives and being reflective in our lives of, of how we wait. And my challenge, my, my, my recognition in this was that waiting, that, that resting in God, that waiting for the coming of the Lord is actually not simply, oh, Something out there is going to happen, and when it finally does, I'll get out there and do it with them. Like, when that thing finally happens, I'll jump in and I'll be a part of it. When the, the church finally has 400 people and like thriving everything, and we have a lead pastor, I'll jump in and do it. No. Like, it says, like, no, when, when my neighbors are finally nice to me, then I'll jump in and spend some time with them and invest in them. But actually it says, no, toil, struggle, prepare. Like, imagine the work of knowing your neighbors. And then when, when the wait is over and you're like, oh, we're so excited to tell you about Jesus. You're like, and look at how we've labored to the success of our community of faith. And how we've loved others so much that when they show up here, they just want to be a part of this dynamic community. How how incredible would it be if we were the kind of people who were tilling and digging and, and actively caring for our soil? Planting, waiting for the harvest, waiting for the fruit, waiting for the, the victory. How, if we were doing that in our communities, if we were doing those things. So the first thing, consider the, farm, consider the farmer. Kind of a, uh, kind of a crazy crazy thing to consider. Um, verse 8 then says, you must, you must wait patiently, strengthening your resolve, because the coming of the Lord is near. So, right, we, we look at the story of, um, of James and what he's imp like imploring the people to do, and it's to stay strong, to stay faithful. There's this... Um, there's this uh, pastor 
who has worked at some really big churches, but he mostly writes these books on spiritual, spiritual disciplines and paying attention to what God is doing. And he, his name is John Ortberg. Um, and he says, biblically, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. You see, there's actually something that happens to us when we, when we dive in, when we dig in, when we engage with what is happening to build better and more incredible things. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I work out. Um, and I work out because people tell me that it's healthy to work out. And growing up, I used to, you know, play soccer and baseball and all of these things. And for the most part, all of my friends and all my peers were either good at it or not good at it. And if they were good at it, they, like, they could just run forever and ever. And you're like, ah, look at them. And then there's me. Ah, ah, ah. I'll be the goalie. Right? And then you got, you got, like, in baseball, I, I played baseball with this kid when I was 14 who was, you know, 6'3", and just huge, and he just sit up there and rake. I hit, I mean, there, there's this baseball field we used to play on, and left field was 400 feet. There was another baseball field over there, and my basic middle school geometry told me center field was around 565 feet. And he hit the ball to the fence during a game. Like, oh my gosh, right? And, you know, you watch people, I'm like, I, I wish I could be a good dancer and do these things. And like, you know, I'm not. I, I, just not, I guess I'm just not gifted at that. But as you get older in life, you realize that some of those things that you want to do or become or, or work at, those things in your life, those, those career paths you've chosen, whether it's sports or something physical or something that takes, you know, takes time and energy from um, physics to engineering to math to accounting to English to writing to all of these things, actually, whether you're good at it to start with, take real practice. So my, th this kid who I played baseball with, uh, he got drafted when he was 18, right out of high school. Gets picked up, uh, single-A baseball goes out there and can't hit a thing. They put a wood bat in his hand. They say, do what you've been doing. He can't. He can't do it. He can't, he can't continue to work out, like, figure it out and make it happen. And you know what happened is he basically just fizzled out because he was always relying on his natural giftedness to get him through. And when he was finally at a place where other people were naturally gifted too— he couldn't compete. He couldn't do it anymore. Um, I, I think we do this in our lives. And, and this is my, my journey of working out. I, for years and years and years, I hated, I hated it. I never saw results. I never lost the weight I wanted to lose. I never got as strong as I wanted to get until I found something that I really enjoyed doing. And then I did it. And I did it. And I did it. And I did it. And I was like, oh, I'm doing a little more. And I did it, and I did it, and I did it, and I did a little more. And I did it, and I did it, and I did it. And through that time, through that process of waiting, my health has improved. 
through that process of relying on what, what God is actually doing in our lives, we actually actively take a role to strengthen ourselves. We actively take on the task and the opportunity to do something to create a better future and a better result at the end. Waiting is actually about strengthening yourself now and in the present. It's about strengthening your resolve because the results of working out, the results of practicing your craft don't come in a week. They don't come in a month. They don't come in six months. They come in a year and three years and five years and ten years when you have resolved to do and to be about and to continue to search and work on the things that God is doing and stirring and working and moving. Not because you see the alfalfa growing, but because God has told you what to do. And that's where we're going to go. The last thing says, verse 9, don't complain about each other, brothers and sisters, so that you won't be judged. Look, the judge is standing at the, bo- at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of patient resolve and steadfastness. Look at how we honor those who have practiced endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen what the Lord has accomplished. So it says, don't complain. I, I love that. I love that it says that. Um, the, the main reason I love that it says that is, like, if you look at the people of Israel throughout the Bible, they have a very, they're really good at one thing. And it's not loving God. It's complaining. They complain all the time. Like, think back to the story of Moses, Right? Moses, you know, he sees the burning bush. He's like, oh, God, look, right? He's like, ah, I'm not talking. I don't know how to talk. I don't know how to do it. Complain. He goes down into Egypt, and he gets his brother Aaron, and brother brother Aaron does all the talking for him, and they do all these things, and they, the people of of Israel get away, and then they're like, oh, I just wish I was a slave again. This is awful. Being free, I know we're, like, we're walking through the wilderness. This is awful. And then they get up against the Red Sea, and the Egyptians come after them. And they're like, why did you do it just to kill us? More complaining. They get out of there. They go up. They, you know, they, they get out of that. They go through the Red Sea, and they end up at the foot of Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up on the mountain, and, and he gets the Ten Commandments, and he brings them down. He's like, this is how you follow God. And they're like, oh, yes, we finally know what we're supposed to do. And Moses is like, hang on here. I'm going to go back up the mountain and I'm going to find out more. Because y'all are too afraid. Like the, all the lightning and thunder and my, my skin glowing and all that kind of stuff. Pick that up. You know, Exodus 19.20. Really great. Great stuff. He goes up in the mountain and he's hearing all the things from God. Like, you know... This is how you ordain priests, and this is how you need to build the temple, and these are the things that I need. And, and God is imparting this knowledge onto Moses. And then all of a sudden, God says to Moses, Hurry up. 
Now, God, if you wanted him to hurry up, you should have been like, sure, like here, here it is. Like, you can review it later. Like, get out of here. Do your thing. But like, no, you say to him, hurry up and go down. Your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt are ruining everything. They've already abandoned the path that I have commanded. You know what they were doing? They said to Aaron, they said to Aaron, come on, make us gods who can lead us. As for this man, Moses, who brought us up out of the land, we don't have a clue what has happened to him. And so Aaron makes them a golden calf. When we complain, we miss the glory of what God is doing. Faithfulness. Real faithfulness is the story of the prophets. Real faithfulness, it says, you know, in in this passage, it says, consider the example of the prophets. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of patient resolve and steadfastness. Daniel. Daniel, oh, such my, one of my favorite prophets. Daniel's a great example of steadfastness and resolve. He's in exile. He's waiting for the people of God to be redeemed. And he faithfully play, prays, and he prays, and he prays, and he's old. He's old. He's on to king number three. And he's praying And all these people see him and they see his faithful resolve and they say, the only way for us to get rid of this guy is to make it illegal for him to pray to his God. And so they do that and the king writes it into law and doesn't realize the implications and has to throw Daniel, this old man, into the lion's den. And we all know the story, right? We've heard it in Sunday school. Uh, And if you haven't heard this story, oh, so good. Read the book of Daniel too. Exodus and Daniel, great. Um, And you you have the story, and then God sends an angel and closes the mouths of the lions, and and the king comes in the morning and rips off the lid of the lion's den and is like, Daniel, are you there? And he's like, oh, yes, I'm here. The Lord shut the mouths of the lions and he raises him up. Now, Daniel could have been like, God, I was just doing what you told me to do. I just kept praying and praying and praying. And I didn't know what I was supposed to do. You just told me to be faithful to you and to follow you and to keep praying. And you sent me to the lion's den. Forget you, God. Let him eat me. But no. Daniel goes willingly. Now, I don't know about you, but like, I, I think some, sometimes in our lives, we get to the point where we're like, I don't know what you're doing here, God. I don't know what you're, I don't know why you, like, why do you have me doing this thing? I hate this. This is awful. Or we get to the point where we're like, man, this job is just wearing me down and draining me or to the point where we're like I, I don't know like my family is rough and it's ha- hard to have relationships with my kids and grandkids who just don't want to come be with me 
And we get into this mindset of, woe is me. And yet God has actually laid out and given us encouragement for how to move forward. Consider the farmer. Strengthen your resolve. Don't complain. Because you have seen what the Lord has accomplished. The people of Israel, in, in the story of Moses, they've seen. They've walked across the Red Sea on dry land. They've seen the power of God as manifested in the plagues. They've experienced his provision, and, and yet they, they miss the point. So here's my invitation for you this morning. As we move on to the table. Charles Spurgeon said, Keep the posture of an upright man, ready for action, expecting further orders, cheerfully and patiently awaiting the directing voice, and it will not be long ere God shall say to you, as distinctly as Moses said it to the people of Israel, Go forward. Waiting, patience, resolve. It's all about listening and doing what God has made clear. And moving forward when he says it's time to move forward. So what do you do with that? Um, I started this practice, I, I had a conversation a couple months ago and I realized something that um, I, I'm really terrible at is journaling. But I have notes all over my desk. All over my desk. And I'm like, sometimes I write down a note and it was important to me at the time and I will go back to it three months later and realize, oh, that would have been great back then. That's not helpful now. And I realized I was just kind of in this sense of like, I, I'd write a bunch of things down and I'd have a lot of things that like God would be moving and stirring in me and that I'd want to be doing and be taking a part of. And so, so I was talking to a friend about it and um, the guy who oversees youth ministry for our conference, uh, his name is Matt Alseth. And Matt and I were sitting down for coffee one day and he's like, you know, I, I use this thing. Like at the end of the week, I write down the things that I accomplished that week. Um, and then I also write down the three big things that if I don't do them this week, it will feel like I didn't accomplish anything. And so he has these big three things. And then he's like, and then I write down the, the tangible steps to accomplish those things. And, and sometimes those, those big three things are not like, it's the, oh, I've got kids camp coming up. What three things do I need to accomplish towards that to be in to something this week? But but to, to reflect both on how I did last week and what is coming and what is moving. But then there's this giant section in the middle that basically says, where do I feel God stirring? And for me, waiting is not about not doing all of these other things that are in our lives. It's not about not pursuing these other things, but it's actually about saying, 
Where are you stirring, God? And where can I invest and, and plant and prepare? What's the next thing for me to do to have the soil ripe for your harvest? What questions do I ask? What people do I need to bring on board? And, and sometimes I have successful weeks and sometimes I don't have successful weeks. But as you reflect and as you take your, um, your Connect cards this morning and you open them up, I have a blank space on there. Um, one, you know, one of them is read the book of James. Uh, another, we've been having these monthly focuses of, or these weekly focuses of praying for different things. So we'd love for you guys to pray for the children and families of Takate. Um, but there's this nice blank space in there. And maybe that's not even enough space for you. Maybe you just want to write that down in your own notes or as your own um, stirring. But, but what I'd invite you to do, what I'd invite you to, to think about for your next steps as we move into a time of communion and then offering, to consider what is something that God has put in front of you that he's inviting you to do the hard work of strengthening your resolve towards. Or, maybe the waiting time's over for you. Where is God inviting you to move and to do in his name? Because he's, he's demonstrated who he is. He's demonstrated what he invites us to. And you have seen the power and the glory of God. So be faithful. Be faithful to what he invites you to. Let's pray. And we'll move into a time of communion. God, you are good. Your love endures forever. Father, we get distracted by things in our lives you get distracted by the things that come up, and Lord, we are terrible at waiting. We want it now. Lord, give us patience. And God, we know that that comes with the opportunity to practice putting on our resolve and strengthening all that you've done and all that you've called us to. In your name, amen. Amen.